Well, you're one of us regular students for Self-Improvement Wednesday. Each week you get to learn something new. Your lesson this week, Myrtle Rust. Your teacher is Dr. Brett Summerall, Chief Botanist at the Australian Institute of Botanical Sciences, the Royal Botanic Gardens and the Domain Trust. Brett, good afternoon. Afternoon, Richard. Just uh, like us with COVID, plants get sick, don't they? Yeah, they do. They get a whole range of different diseases that can be caused by mostly by fungi, but also bacteria and, and of course, viruses. A lot of the really early work on viruses was actually done on plants. So that's, that's influenced all of the, the work that's done on viruses now. And these diseases, just like us, keep getting spread around the world with increasing speed and frequency, um, mainly because of global trade and, and, and um, travel. Mm. And, and just like, you know, influences that come, come in from overseas... The, the the crucial thing is the plants here have no natural resistance. Yeah, so, you know, evolution takes many thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of years to, to develop. And so when these new diseases that the plants have no resistance to come into the bush, then they can have really devastating effect. And that's exactly what we're seeing with this relatively new disease that we have now called myrtle rust. Mm. Introduced into the central coast region of, of our state, in just 2010, so not long ago, in 11 years, it has spread along the East Coast from Tassie to the Northern Territory. It's blown across to Lord Howe Island. It's infected New Zealand all in 11 years. It is really amazing. They do produce masses of these these spores which are easily dispersed, you know, and it's it's related to some of the um, similar sorts of rust diseases. People might know um, the, the diseases that form on cereals, particularly wheat. I mean, a long history in Australia of trying to overcome rust diseases in wheat. And these are known to blow from South Africa across to Australia or from Australia further west. So they're, they're diseases that easily get spread. And when they do come into contact with a susceptible plant, that's when they can have a huge impact on the, on the particular plants that are going to be affected. Mm. Now describe this particular thing, myrtle rust. It, it, it leads to these bright yellow pustules. Is that right? Yeah, so they're quite distinctive. Um, I've, I've put a couple of shots up on, on Twitter today, but they have these bright yellow pustules that almost glow in the bush when you see them. And in a really infected plant, they can be quite quite distinctive and quite um, almost alarming in a lot of ways. And these spores form on the leaves, particularly on the new growth. So the, the fresh new growth is very susceptible. But even more disturbingly, they form really abundantly on the flowers and developing fruits of affected plants. So this often causes these plant parts to die. Slowly it works its way through the plant, um, causing defoliation for the leaves to fall off, and then eventually the plant will, will start to die back. And in the worst cases, with those plants that are particularly susceptible, the whole plant will die in a relatively quick period of time. But even on less susceptible plants, you can get infection after infection after infection, so that over a number of years, you get um, a really deleterious effect on the plant. So it it just dies after that because it's mm-hmm. been completely beaten up year after year. Wow, myrtle rust is what we're talking about. Where did it come from originally? Uh, it's a fungus that originally evolved in Brazil um, on a range of different um, plants in this family, but most notably on guava, um, as people might know it for the fruit that gets produced. Um, so it was known as guava rust then. Um, then in the, the 60s and 70s, eucalypts were really planted heavily in, in Brazil. So the fungus was able to adapt and to jump across to eucalyptus species, which are not that distantly re- um, related to, to guava and then started to, to um, 
have a real impact on eucalypt species in that in those sorts of situations. Eventually, it spread to Florida and was even used as a biological control for paperbarks uh, in the Everglades. And eventually, it spread further around to particularly to Hawaii, um, where it killed a range of different local species. There, some of them are related to to things that you might see in New Zealand. Killed those species, and that's probably the most likely source of the initial infection of Australia. We don't exactly know how the fungus managed to get into Australia, but you can imagine the spores might have adhered to a, a you know somebody who's a tourist or whatever, um, and and brushed along an infected plant um, in a hotel area or wherever and then jumped on a plane and, and within 24 hours was on their property in the central coast and was able to, to jump across to a susceptible plant there. Yeah, as you say, global travel and trade, it's so intense that that's what makes all these things uh, happen and, and happen so quickly. 11 years since this uh, this first came here to the central coast, now it's everywhere. The, it affects lo- uh, lots of plants too, does it? A large class of Australian plants. Yeah, so it affects plants in the in the family called Myrtaceae, uh, which is a mouthful. But these are the plants that include all of our keystone groups. So eucalyptus, 900-odd species, melaleucas, the paperbarks, tea trees, lily pillies, and a whole range of different um, rain spot, rainforest species. Um, so pretty much every ecosystem in Australia as a member of this family is the dominant species. And there's a whole lots of shrubs and, and smaller plants as well. So the impact on Australian ecosystem is enormous. We know through various trials and tests and observation that about 400 species are susceptible, but there's still you know, another 1,200 species that we don't know uh, information about, and there's a significant lack of information on the response of many, many members of the, of the family to the, to the pathogen. And, of course, there's a whole range of other species that um, depend on these species, so um, the obvious things are, are species like koalas, flying foxes, nectar-feeding birds, possums, invertebrates. It just goes on and on and on, could all be affected. So the impact, it can be really severe in those sorts of circumstances. There's a handful of plants which are already, Australian plants, are already facing extinction pressure because of this myrtle rust that was introduced, you know, a bit over a decade ago. Yeah, so that's right. There's a, about 12, 14 different species of, of rainforest species species, mid to medium-sized trees. Um, these rainforest species are all on a projected extinction um, trajectory now. So one of them, uh, the scrub myrtle, um, Rhodamnia, has gone from being a relatively common species that you might have seen all the way from um, you know, Batemans Bay all the way up to, to southern Queensland, is now officially critically endangered. And so, yeah, as you say, after 11 years, this disease is um, causing some species, quite a number of species really in that time frame, to head rapidly towards extinction in the wild. And, and extra pressure from the bushfires, from the, uh, the summer bushfires of, of, of a year or so ago. Uh, plants that are recovering from bushfires are particularly susceptible to myrtle rust. Yeah, so when we, I mentioned before that that young growth is coming out is, is really susceptible to myrtle rust. So of the obvious thing that we're seeing in all of the bushfire-affected areas, whether it's rainforests or places like Fraser Island or wherever, is all this flush of new, new growth, which is just ideal for myrtle rust to infect. And it causes devastation in those sort of circumstances and is really quite bad, particularly when we get this wet, warm weather, which favours the fungus um, after the burns. What can we do about it? There's a limited um, control option. Sadly, it's uh, easily dispersed, as we mentioned before. There are some fungicides that are effective in controlling the, the disease, but the practicality 
you know, on a continental scale is, is really quite um, enormous and, and frankly just not viable. We use fungicides for when we're trying to get some plants to grow, you know, rare and threatened species to grow in a botanic garden because we want to get the seed. Uh, and seed, seed banking and, and making sure we have collections in botanic gardens has been a really critical thing that we're doing. Just have an insurance um, collection there. So we're doing a lot of work collecting susceptible species. But some of these rainforest species can be difficult to seed bank and so we're trying to work work out different techniques to do the seed, seed banking and um, to develop cryopreservation techniques so we can store the seed, the seed with, with liquid um, nitrogen. Um, biosecurity and quarantine are still critical for this disease. Just like COVID, there's still strains overseas that are much more aggressive and much more um, damaging. So it's critically important that we... Um, we work mm. to make sure that we're able to stop the okay. disease yeah. coming into when, the country. When we finally travel again and the customs officer gives you a hard time about your hiking boots, listen to, listen to him or her and do what you're told. Uh, Brett Summerall is here. You mentioned evolution, Brett, and is, is there a chance, uh, which we're seeing with, with cane toads and natural native animals to some extent already, is there a chance that evolution will allow our plants to develop some protection? problem sometimes is that the evolution happens a little bit slowly. We do recognise that there's a range of different susceptibilities to the disease in different species. And so we're trying to understand what controls that, what the genes are in, in, in controlling that. Maybe we'd be able to help a little bit in terms of the selection pressures and, and choose the, the more resistant varieties so that we can um, grow those up and get them out in the bush. And we're also looking at, you know, trying to use genomic um, technology to try and identify individual plants that, that could be resistant to the disease. And just like COVID, there's even research into using RNA interference vaccines to control myrtle rust. That's really um, trying to, it's just starting to show some really interesting um, results in that, play, in that place and uh, is quite promising. Mm, we'll keep up the home bush. Uh Vaccination Centre for the Plants after we've finished with it. Hey, uh, Brett, fascinating, fascinating lesson. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure, Richard. Thank there you. There you go. Self-improvement Wednesday. The arrival and then the destruction of myrtle rust and what we possibly can do about it. The teacher has been Dr Brett Summerall, the Chief Botanist at the Australian Institute of Botanical Science and at the Royal Botanic Gardens. You can listen again to his lesson online at abc.net.au slash sydney. Subscribe to the free Self-Improvement Wednesday podcast. Next week, a lesson from Dr Eliza Middleton from the University of Sydney on the acrobatic strengths and weaknesses of insects. That's Self-Improvement Wednesday next week. <laughs>